Our second reading is from the prophet Amos, chapter 5. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light, as if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him, or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it? I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters, and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Did you bring to me sacrifices and offerings during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You shall take up Sicketh your king, and Kion your star god, your images that you made for yourselves. And I will send you into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning to you. It's very nice to be with you again. It's a real treat for me to get out of my church. It's not because there's anything wrong with my church, I hope, but it's just something about getting away from the little bubble of your normal environment, isn't there? Then seeing that there's life out there elsewhere. And I find it's you know, a great thing to see other churches. I love to be and see other churches, which once you become a religious professional like myself, becomes quite difficult because you work in a church and you don't get to visit other churches. So this is a real treat for me. And I think it's important that we get out of our own little bubble because in a sense, it helps us see. It helps us see beyond our normal experience. And that's really what the heart of the prophetic is all about. It's about lifting us out of our normal environment and it's God sharing his pathos with us, his agony for the human condition with us. And that's what we're going to spend a little bit of time this morning thinking about. You're in a, um, a series on the minor prophets. That doesn't mean they're small or underage. Have you heard that joke already? You haven't done that one. It simply means that they are the prophets. They're part of the, the, the prophets in the Bible, but they tend to be shorter. And we're looking at, particularly this morning, Amos. Amos was a prophet for the nation. He prophesied into the life of Israel, particularly northern Israel. Amos was a southern boy. It was as if he was from Georgia, rural Georgia. And God sends Amos into the heart of Manhattan, Wall Street, New York, something like that. Amos is from the south at the time when Israel has been split into two nations. The, people's God, God, the people of God have been split in two. Sounds vaguely familiar, doesn't it? 
And Amos is sent from the south to prophesy to the north. And Amos says, look, I'm not a professional prophet. I was never trained as a prophet. I'm just a shepherd. I'm just this guy from the south. And I take care of sycamore fig trees. But the Lord called me away from my flock and told me, go and prophesy to my people Israel. Go and speak God's word to Israel. And by Israel, he meant the northern nation. Go and lift the people's eyes out of what they're used to, what they've become accustomed to. Go and help them see. Go and wake them up. And he's speaking to a society that is prosperous and wealthy. The north in Israel has become wealthy. And Amos brings a message and a prophecy that says this, you in the north, you are wealthy and you take pride in your religion, but it means nothing to me, God. Because you lack one thing. You lack one thing, and that one thing can be summed up in the word justice. And I want to talk a little bit about justice as the Bible sees justice this morning. And I will hope to expand our horizons a little bit about what justice is, because it is more than simply fairness. It is more than simply the application of the law. It is more than people simply getting what they deserve. So I hope that as we look at this text from Amos, we all will be woken up a little bit and be invited to ask ourselves the same question that Amos asked of Israel. Would you pray with me? Father God, as we take time out of our week, as we focus our hearts and minds to inquire of you and wrestle with you, Lord, to wrestle with the things of God, to listen to your word, I pray now that you would help us see, that you would bring us up by your prophetic voice to understand something more about who you are, who you are, Lord, and what you are asking of us. Would you speak to us this morning? And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's a funny thing, justice, isn't it? I have three children, and uh, if you have children, you will know that justice is something that children are innately aware of from a very, very young age. And I have three girls, and one of them in particular is our little sort of justice monitor. So when you have jelly beans and you're handing out justice jelly beans, she is like a laser. Who got more jelly beans? And if one of the kids gets one more jelly bean than the other, it's absolute fury. She got more, it's not fair. Pancakes on Saturday. Who's eaten more pancakes? She's counting them as they get eaten. Who's gonna get more? And I try to encourage my daughter to say, look, darling, you've got a gift. You have a gift of justice. If you could just learn to use it for other people as well. <laughs> and she kind of rolls her eyes at me and says, yeah, whatever, Dan. But we all have this innate sense of justice in us. It's born into us, this innate sense of fairness. And as you look at the world and as you look at the news, it comes out of you. So when somebody gets put away in prison for something they did wrong, we say, yes, that's right, isn't it? When Jodie Arras gets put in prison for murder, we say, yes, she got what she deserved. Didn't she? 
I'm asking you a question. Did she get what did she deserve, yes or no? Yes. Okay. Bernie Madoff. He gets put in prison for the Ponzi scheme. Did he get what he deserved, yes or no? Oh, good, we can agree on that. But you have in you, from a very early age, an innate sense of justice. But is that what Amos is talking about? Is Amos talking primarily about people getting what they deserve when he talks about justice? Well, let me tell you a story. I um, really had my own sense of what justice, or biblical justice, or what the Bible means by justice, really shaken by a, a, a book called Generous Justice by Tim Keller. I don't know if you've heard of Tim Keller. He's a preacher up in New York. And he wrote this book called Generous Justice, really exploring what biblical justice is. And if you are a jelly bean counter or a pancake counter, I recommend you to go and read Generous Justice by Tim Keller. But he tells this story in, um, in this book. Um, he is part of a Presbyterian church. Presbyterian churches have deacons. And the deacons were sort of thinking about, you know, their life in, together as a church. And they thought, well, uh, if you read in the, in the scriptures, deacons... They're supposed to look after the poor. That's one of the roles of a deacon. And we're not doing a lot of that. Maybe we should go and find some poor people and help them. And so with this great intent, they went out and they found a woman, a single woman with children. And she was deeply in debt. She was really, really struggling, about to be thrown out of her house. And she, they said, well, okay, we're going to help this woman. And so they raised some money through the church and they gave her the money. Very clearly, they gave her the money to go and pay off her bills, pay off her debts, so that she would be all square. A little while later, they discovered the woman was still in debt. What happened to the money? And they discovered that she had used the money to take her kids out, buy new sneakers, go to the cinema, buy ice cream. She'd wasted it all. All the money that they had raised had gone. Now, what would justice be for that woman? What would a just response be for that woman? I'm gonna tell you the end of the story at the end of this talk. But Amos is the prophet of justice. And we heard that reading from uh, Amos 5. And he's prophesying against wealthy north where he sees or where God is speaking and saying there's a lack of justice here. The prophecies start rather well. If you read the beginning of the book of Amos, it starts with a long list of judgments against Israel's enemies, her neighbors, her perpetual enemies. The Lord roars from Zion, he begins, and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds mourn, and the top of Carmel withers. Damascus, Gaza, Tyre, Edom, Ammonites, Moab. All the enemies of Israel Amos prophesies and says, you are going to get what you deserve. For your wickedness, I am going to send fire, send God, says God. I am going to send a judgment. And you can just imagine Israel saying, that's great. We kind of like that. It's okay, you see, when justice is for somebody else. It's a lot more difficult when justice is for me. Because Amos goes on. 
And Amos' prophecy doesn't end here. God's gaze turns from Israel's enemies onto Israel herself. And the passage we read begins by saying to Israel this, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness on light, not light. Now, this is Israel's expectation. When the day of the Lord comes, there will be what on earth? Justice. And because Israel is God's people, we're the righteous ones, right? So it's good news that the day of the Lord would come because the rest of them, those people out there, will get judged and it'll be all right for us. But no, because here, God's complaint against Israel. You are making a mockery of the law. You are breaking it and not applying it. Where you are applying it, you're using the law to oppress the poor. There's social injustice. And as the righteous people of God, you should know better. Because justice and righteousness belong together. And justice in the biblical sense is more than simply what you deserve. I was listening to a talk by Gary Haugen. Have you heard of an international justice mission? So he was talking, he's doing one of these TED Talks, and he's talking about the relationship between justice and poverty. Tremendous strides have been made throughout the world to reduce global poverty. If you take global poverty as being one, uh, earning less than $1.20 a day, global poverty has shrunk from 50% to about 15%. It's extraordinary what's been achieved. But if you raise that to $2 a day, you're back up to about 50%. And Gary points out that one of the major causes and one of the hardest things for the world to deal with is that the poor cannot get access to justice. We live in, an America, in, a, in a country, in America, where if you and I call 911, it takes approximately 10 minutes on average for a response. 10 minutes and something is going to happen. That's extraordinary. I mean, that's fantastic. It's good news. But that is not the reality for the majority of the world. Everyday violence, everyday injustice keeps people trapped in poverty, particularly women. Domestic violence, slavery of one kind or another, keeps people trapped in poverty, and they cannot get access to justice. And that's exactly what Amos's complains about Israel. Oh, you who turn justice to wormwood and cast down righteousness to the earth. You're making justice into a mockery. They hate him who reprove in the gate. Justice happened in Israel where judges would sit at the gate of the city and as you came into the city, they would deal with justice. They abhor him who speaks the truth. You afflict the righteous who take a bribe and turn aside the needy in the gate. There's straightforward corruption going on in Israel. There's mockery of the law, and they are preventing people get access to justice, and it has an impact. But it's worse than that, because even when Israel is applying the laws, they're being used to directly oppress the poor. Therefore, because you trample on the poor, says Amos, and you extract taxes of grain from him, you have built houses of hewn stone, but you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink their wine. What's going on here? Where the law is being applied, it's being applied by the wealthy to exploit the poor. 
There's a word that we would use for that, which we would call social injustice or a lack of social justice. And the Bible's a little bit uncomfortable, depending slightly on which side of the political spectrum you fall. Last time I came here, I promised that I wouldn't speak about politics to Johnny. I'm not going to speak about politics. But when you look at the scriptures and you look at what justice is, you will find things on both sides of the political spectrum. So the Bible is full, the Levitical laws, the Old Testament laws, on laws that are deliberately intended to prevent the wealthy getting too wealthy, the powerful becoming too powerful, and to make sure that there is provision for the poor. This is not charity, this is social engineering on a big scale. Now, you have to hold that intention with all the other scriptures which talk about individual responsibility, personal accountability, work hard, those kinds of things. But those two belong together. And the Bible does not offer us easy answers, but invites us into that tension to recognize that there are causes of social injustice and individual responsibility. And it's a great shame that in the last 100 to 150 years, the evangelical church, that tends to be on the orthodox right, and the liberal church, the liberal church has tended to major on social justice. The orthodox conservative church has tended to major on rightness and making sure that there is a right relationship with God. But the two actually belong together. And if you look a little back further into the history of the evangelical church, you'll find people like Wilberforce, great evangelical, sought to end the injustice of slavery. And you'll find here Amos bringing a sort of crescendo to his argument. I hate, I despise your feasts. Take away from me the noise of your songs, the melody of your harps, I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. These are not easy words. These are words to, spoken to a church-going people, if you will. And God says to them, I hate these are strong words. I hate your religious assemblies. They mean nothing to me. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Justice and righteousness. Justice and righteousness. You find those two words coming up again and again and again in the scriptures, linked put together. Psalm 88, 89, 14, righteousness and justice. Righteousness and justice are the foundations of your throne. God's throne built on justice and righteousness. Now, those aren't two good things that just happen to turn up at the same time, like strawberry and chocolate ice cream. They belong together. That word righteousness is a little difficult for us because we usually use it in the negative sense, self-righteousness. But righteousness means simply in right relationship with God and with each other. And wherever there is injustice, it destroys people's relationships to God and to each other. And the righteous, that's us, should know that. We should know that in the core of our being. And we should also understand that justice always points back to righteousness. 
that justice is more than you get what you deserve. Justice is ultimately about lifting people up in their humanity and restoring them to the fullness of what God intended. Now, I used to work in video production, and I came across an amazing example, or several amazing examples of exactly this. So I was looking for programs that would somehow talk about Christian themes without being overtly Christian and pitching these to broadcasters. And in that process, I came across an organization called the Forgiveness Project. The Forgiveness Project is a non-religious organization, and the Forgiveness Project basically were looking for extraordinary stories of forgiveness. How did people manage to forgive each other? And one particular story struck me extraordinarily. The woman is called Linda Beale. She's an American, and her daughter was in South Africa. And this was at the time of apartheid, and her daughter working to end apartheid in South Africa was murdered by some young men. Those two young men went to prison. That's right, isn't it? That is just. There is a penalty for crime. That is just. So they go to prison, and then a few years later, at the end of apartheid in 1998, they applied for and were granted amnesty as part of the general amnesty that was extended to many, many prisoners. So these two young men came out of prison. Is that just? Is that fair? Is that reasonable? But this is what Linda said. Linda and her husband, Peter, who went to meet these two young men who had killed her daughter. At the amnesty hearing, we shook hands. We shook hands with the families of the perpetrators. Peter spoke for both of us when he quoted from an editorial Amy, that's the daughter who was murdered, had written for the Cape Times. The most important vehicle of reconciliation is open and honest dialogue, he said. We are here to reconcile a human life which was taken without an opportunity for dialogue. When we were finished with the process, we must move forward with linked arms. We wanted to meet them, they said. It wasn't about pity or blame, but about understanding. We wanted to know what it would take to make things better. Now, Linda and these two young men, whose name was Easy and Notobeko, they work together. Linda works with the murderers of her daughter, and they work for the Amy Beale Foundation for Human Rights. And she says of these two young men, they are like my own children. Is that just? It's more than they deserved, right? But in other words, Linda, somehow, through her pain, Linda and Peter, grasping for what justice looked like, came to understand that there is a link somehow between justice, which is a right penalty for crimes or breaking the law, and righteousness, that they are linked together. That the end of justice is not punishment, but the end of justice is restoration. Restoration of human beings. Jesus said exactly the same thing. We read from the scripture from Matthew 5 this morning. And this well-known little part, bit of the scripture, which is one of those parts of scripture which is massively misunderstood. And Jesus said this to his disciples. You've heard it, said that, uh, heard it was said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Have you heard this? An eye for an eye. You've heard it said, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. 
If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Absurd, right? Absurdly impractical. We in Britain have um, a great tendency now to breed rabid atheists. And one of these rabid atheists pointed to this scripture recently on British television, BBC television, and said, isn't that nonsense? What's Jesus talking about? You can't run a justice system like that. It's absurd. Is he right? Well, depends what you mean. First of all, Jesus is not saying there shouldn't be justice. What he's saying is you're taking this scripture and applying it as a personal ethic. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth was applied to courts, not individuals. And it was really saying to the courts, you be fair. At a time in the ancient Near East, when courts were routinely unfair, if you were rich, you got one kind of justice, if you were poor, you got another. So it's an amazingly progressive piece of scripture that says, no, 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 courts should deal out the same punishments to everybody, regardless of who you are. But then he says, but look, justice is not simply about fair's fair. It's not about how many jelly beans you get or how many pancakes. In the end, there is another aim to justice, which you must hold together with the due course of law. And he uses hyperbole to raise our eyes. Do anything, he says, to restore a person even an enemy, even someone who has done you harm, give them their full dignity back. Bring them back to righteousness at any cost. And we're in the Easter season, and the ultimate example of that kind of justice is on the cross. Because the cross says this, yes, There is a penalty. There is a right penalty for crime, our crime, our sin. There is a right penalty, and that must be paid. The penalty is so huge that we cannot pay it, so we need God himself to pay it, but is that the end of it? Is that the end of justice? No, because the purpose of that justice is to restore us to relationship with God and to relationship with one another. Justice and righteousness. The righteous cannot ignore justice, but justice cannot ignore righteousness. What does that mean for you and me? What does Amos say to us this morning? It means we, who are the righteousness of God, are called to justice. And if there is anything in you that looks at the news or looks at your communities and says, that's not fair, that's not right, that shouldn't be that way, maybe that is God calling you to action in small ways, big ways. And I want to encourage you that this thing that my daughter has, that some of you have, and we all have in part, is a gift. We are called as the righteous, to do justice in the world. But at the same time, as we walk to, if we were willing to walk towards justice, we have to ask ourselves, what lies behind that instinct? Is that instinct that people get their due, that ultimately people get what's coming to them, or is our instinct ultimately 
to restore people back to the fullness of their humanity. That ultimately, our drive to justice must keep that in view. Restoring people to the image of God. And I quoted Generous Justice in that story by Tim Curlier early in this um, talk. How did the story end? You remember the woman? She'd taken the money from a church. They'd given it to her to pay off her bills and to pay off her debts. And she'd taken that money and wasted it on ice cream, trips to the cinema, shoes for her kids, you know, trendy designer trainers. What would you do? Well, this is what the deacons did in Tim Keller's church. They got very angry. They got very angry with this woman because they betrayed her, their trust and they brought her in and they wanted to know what was going on. And this woman said, eventually, after a lot of tears, that she had spent so long watching other families take their children to the movies, buy them ice cream, get them good sneakers, that when finally she had some money in her hands, she couldn't bear not to just give them something of a normal life, to raise them back, if you will, into the community where they could participate as full and equal participants. That's justice, isn't it? So now the deacons... We're not going to say, well, there, there, that makes it all right. We did give you money. You were dishonest with us. You used that money inappropriately. We gave that money for a purpose. And so they committed to a process, which didn't say there's no cost here, there's no penalty, but they committed to a process with an end in view, which was to restore this woman's life in its totality. And over a lot of time and a lot of work, they finally made progress. You see, the biblical view of justice is really quite radical. And it's almost an offense against our childlike sense of fair's fair. Justice, in a biblical sense, is a tide that raises every human being towards the image of God. I'm going to finish with this quote from Martin Luther King. And he wrote this when he was residing in Birmingham jail. And he was being accused of being an extremist and Martin Luther King knew something about fighting for justice. And this is what he said. Was not Jesus an extremist for love? Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Was not Amos an extremist for justice? Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. The question is not whether we will be extremists, but what kind of extremists will we be? Will we be extremists for hate or for love? Will we be extremists for the preservation of injustice or for the extension of justice? Shall we pray? Father, I'm just aware that as I've been speaking, these are hard things, things that bring up complex and difficult emotions. But Lord, we believe that you are a God who walks right into the heart of the human struggle.
that you ask us to face the difficult questions and to wrestle with the really hard issues. So this morning, as we've been thinking about justice and how Amos points us, the righteous, those who stand in relationship to God, he calls us out to do justice in the world. Because justice and righteousness belong together. Would you teach us what that means for our own lives, in our own communities, in our own schools, in our neighborhoods, in our church, in our city, and in our nation? so that we might become part of a tide that lifts all people towards the image of God. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Rock of ages, clear for me Let me hide myself in thee let the water and the blood from thy riven side which flow be absent in the double cure. Cleanse me from its guilt and power. 